word, number one, but to be able to do so in this town, in this congregation, it is a great thrill of mine. I especially am thankful to see uh, so many of you that I've not been able to see in a while. It's good to see our young people that are here. Talk to Barry today and recognize that some would be out, uh, but uh, so good to see each and every one of you. It's been a special uh, day. I have several of my family members here, and uh, there's even some from Clifton that are not family, and, and you're just weird for being here, but I thank you anyway for being here tonight. Uh, it means the world to me. Be praying for us tomorrow. We will be going to Tegucigapa, Honduras, and I know several of you have done that trip before. Be pl- praying for us as we journey that way. We've got a lot to talk about, so I want to get right in to our lesson tonight. I've been given the assignment of Noah, and what a great assignment that is. Uh, the great man who's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, among great men and women of faith. It is stated there by faith, notice that, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Notice again, the Hebrew writer, whoever that is, understands faith because he says, by faith, what did Noah do? Noah moved to do exactly what God had instructed him in that divine order to do exactly what God had instructed him to do. Now, I know you're interested in this subject because every single one of us have to have that kind of faith. In fact, we're taught without such faith, we cannot please God. And so I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 tonight. And I want you to think about an earlier day because you recognize as this echoes back to the very beginning of time in the book of Genesis, we find in the book of Genesis uh, an interesting story as it relates to the faith of Noah. And more specifically, I want you to even go back further than that. Genesis chapter 6, of course, you know is that story. But when you go back even further, you recognize that there was a time that this world was a paradise. It was a utopia. It was a place that was good in estimation of the Creator. In fact, we see within Scripture in Genesis 1.31 that God would even say this place was very good. But through the process of time, and it wasn't but a short time really, a little over 1,600 years we find that through the process of time that that which was created by God became defiled and defamed. And eventually, Genesis chapter 6 tells us it was in fact destroyed by God. Now we want to know why. And we want to know what it is about this faith that we're going to talk about tonight that we need to practice and have within our own life. Once that utopia was defamed as it was, we find in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that after that great fall of Adam and Eve, that God declared in that authoritarian voice, I want you to know this, Satan, that I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, the reason I think it's so important not just to land in Genesis chapter 6, but to go back prior to Genesis chapter 6, you need to understand how it was that the world got to the place of Genesis chapter 6 to the point that God would look down upon the world and repent that he would even make or create the world. Well, we see in this text, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, that which would be paradise became defiled because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And because of that sin and the great punishment, God says to Satan, Satan, here's your punishment. 
You need to understand that hostility will always between, be between you and the Holy Seed. I think that's an interesting text because no doubt Satan immediately began to come up with a plan to make certain that this holy seed that God talked about would not even come into an existence. And so we find that plan as it begins to unfold. The first thing we see in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. And how that because of the hatred, the jealousy within the heart of Abel that, that, that he, that in the heart of Cain, that Cain killed his own brother, Abel. And through that process, we find that it looks as if for at least a moment that maybe that holy seed would not come into existence because after all, what Satan had planned was, hey, let's just wipe mankind out and put to the point that those descendants would not be possible. And yet we find that God always has a plan that's going to trump Satan's. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 25, And Adam knew his wife, and she bore a son and named his, his name Seth. For God appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Now imagine that, and imagine the mindset of Satan, if you will. I'm certain that Satan began to think, okay, that didn't work. The annihilation of mankind didn't work. What about the condemnation? What about contaminating mankind? And thus we see plan B, if you will, where Satan begins to think of a way in which, if, hey, if I can't wipe mankind out, then let me do something that will contaminate my, mankind to the point that there will never be a holy seed. There may be a seed, but not a seed of God. And so we find in Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, that it came to pass when men began to multiply upon the face of the earth, daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, those Sethites, saw the daughters of men, those Canaanites, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now what happened? Immediately in plan B, Satan says, if I can get in the heart of mankind, and I can begin to cause them to intermingle with one another, eventually if you intermingle young people, uh, you'll probably end up getting married. If you associate long enough, and what happened in that text is, through the process of intermingling, they intermarried. And because of that intermarriage, we see again that there is, at least for a moment, a hesitation to what might be the plan of God. What is, how in the world is the Holy Seed going to ever be in the process of such contamination? Where the sons of God would be attracted to the daughters of men and begin to marry to the point that corruption would be upon this earth. Now notice, because of that, what takes place in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Can you imagine such a place? The, the thoughts of man was only evil continuing. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in the heart. Notice the superlatives. Notice the adverbs that just slap you in the face, if you will. Notice that the Lord saw wickedness upon this world to the point that it was so great upon earth he could look in the inside crevices of the heart and he said concerning those hearts, hey, all they do is think about evil. What they can plan, what they can expose, what they can bring to light is all evil. And the scripture reveals to us as Moses, of course, is the recorder of this text that in Genesis chapter 6 verse 7, as the Lord looked down upon this earth, he said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and thy creeping things and the fowls of the air, for it, notice this, it repenteth me that I have made them. 
What a place. What a devastation. And it seems as if in a snap in terms of eternity, that that which was a utopia, that which was pleasant, that which was paradise upon this earth, God's own creation becomes defiled to the point that God says, I'm sorry that I even created it. What is God to do? If you stand in the corridors of this great scene and think for just a moment that there's a sense of hopelessness that would, that would sweep through the atmosphere, I would, I'd have to stand in disagreement to you. But the Scripture next states in verse 8, But... Notice the contrasting Scripture from verse 7 to verse 8. It looks like all is lost, but... Verse 8, the Scripture says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God comes over to Noah and says, Here's what I want you to do, Mr. Noah. I want you to build an ark. And isn't that interesting? I want you to build this vessel. I want it to be 75 feet wide. I want it to be 400 feet long. I want it to be 45 feet high. Can you imagine Noah hearing this for the very first time? Noah says, You want me to build... A boat? And it's not even rained as such upon earth? You want me? And I'll have to tell you because I own a boat. I, I would really have a hard time with these dimensions. You know what boat stands for. I know most of you do anyway. Break out another thousand. Imagine if you're Noah thinking about that expense. But God gives Noah order. And he begins to hear the order that God gives him. And in Genesis chapter 6 verse 22, I love this text. It brings us back to Hebrews chapter 11. Thus did Noah, notice that word, it's important young people, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Noah did what? Noah did according to pattern. Noah did according to blueprint. Noah did. Noah did exactly as God instructed him to do. When God said to build, Noah built. When God said to preach, Noah preached. And may I say to you, it wasn't necessarily a good message. I can't but imagine what it would have been like for Noah, not only to have this task of constructing he and his sons, this large vessel, but to do so while preaching. You talk about the stress in the life of this man. Noah would preach, and the message that he was to preach was a message of repentance. A message that would be stolen later by Nathaniel, who would say to his great friend David, Thou art the man. It was a message of repentance. A message that's heard not only in the reigns of Genesis, but throughout the entire Bible. It's a message that our Lord would say to a city that he loved, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you together as a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you wouldn't have it. You would not. Repent. It's a message of repentance. It's a message of Peter who would stand in Acts chapter 2 when they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Sure, Noah had a message that salvation's in the vessel. Noah had the message that salvation's in the ark. But in order to understand that, he had to say to his people, to those he loved, to his family, to his friends, to his neighbors, it's time to repent. Noah... It was Noah who stood head and shoulders over all others and found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 120 years Noah preached and preached and preached. In Genesis chapter 7 and verse 2, notice this text. 
God says, come into the ark, you and your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and a female, two of each of animals that are unclean, a male and a female, also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. Can you imagine? Let me, let me just stop right here to tell you, those of you who've watched the movies uh, that concerns Noah, and especially the, the most recent, in that Hollywood rendering of Noah, you'll find that the actors are out there and they're nudging and pulling on those animals. That didn't happen. In fact, we find within Scripture that God orders those animals. And it's interesting to me that they come as they do before Noah. And it's almost a message to those of us in the human race. That while humans were turning their back upon God and saying, we'll live the way we want to live, animals were marching accordingly to the will of God. What a mockery. What a mockery. That's what God saw during that period of time. In Genesis chapter, in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 16, so they entered male and female, just as God ordered, of all went in. God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now they're in the ark. Now Moses kind of jumps around in the rendering of this text, but in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 10, it says that as they get in that ark and God shuts them in, it's seven days. Seven days before it begins to rain. Can you imagine? Can you imagine sitting in that vessel? And, 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 and hearing the conversation and discussion going on? Can you imagine knowing his family being, and perhaps even having an earshot to what's going on outside? And hearing the ridicule and the laughter and the mockery. I mean, there may have been somebody there from WBBJ Channel 7. Who knows? Young people in there reporting such things as, I don't know why this man has taken his family inside this box. He's crazy, I suppose. I'm here reporting this great event that this man has been preaching and preaching and preaching that the world is about to be destroyed and now he has taken the hands of his wife and the hands of his children and they have marched inside this vessel and the door has been shut and not only are they in there but all kinds of animals are in there. We're going to break away now for the weather. What? Sunny again today with no chance of rain. Day one. Sunny with no clouds in sight. Day two. Day three, imagine being Noah inside that vessel. Imagine being Noah after preaching such message that he preached and now he is being mocked and ridiculed. By faith, however, the Hebrew writer says, it's by faith that Noah did what he did. And he did what he did because he was divinely warned of things not yet seen. He could not see the full picture. That's what faith's all about sometimes. But he moved because God told him to move. He didn't move at the beat of CNN or Fox News. He didn't move at the beat of politics or positions or polls. If we're going to have the faith of Noah, and I think we ought to, then we are going to be motivated and moved by the will of God. We don't need to make it complicated. We don't need to make it fuzzy and blurry in our lives. We need to understand and put full center before us in the forefront of our lives a life likened to Noah who moved in very, it looks like some weird kind of ways, but he moved because God told him to move. So much to learn. Verse 12 says, it begins to rain. It rains for 40 days and nights. 
Verse 19 says, the world is covered to the point that the highest hills are covered. Notice verse 23 of Genesis chapter 7. He destroys all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things and birds on the air, and they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth. Notice that. 150. That blows my mind. I'll just have to tell you. Let me just stop just a minute and tell you. 150 days now. For those of you who are educators, that's almost a full year of school. And you complain about your job being in those classrooms? 150 days. We put in 180 days a year in school. And the reason I can speak, I've been in education most of my, I guess all of my adult life. 180 days sometimes gets pretty frustrating. There is one thing that God knew that the State Department still hasn't picked up on. And it's this. Most educators know that once the testing is over, go ahead and let the varmints out the door. I mean, lovely children. I, that's what I mean. 150 days they're in this boat. And let's not make it such a fairy tale existence. If you believe any portion of God's Word, you must believe in knowing the ark. If you understand that in the beginning God created, you must understand in Genesis chapter 6, God destroyed. And you must step back and ask the question, why? Why did God destroy? The waters prevailed upon that earth 150 days. We might want to learn a lesson from Noah. Noah, how was it that you were able to move in faith? That's the lesson I want to learn. I talked to your preacher when he assigned me this, and I said, you know, where, where do you want me to go with it? He said, well, we're talking about water. And certainly that's a big part of this text. But I said, you know, is it okay for me to spend some time talking about faith as it relates? And he said, certainly. Because when I look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7, certainly faith reaches up to us. But, but when you flip back into the Old Testament, it is there. And it's not complicated. Noah. <laughs> Noah gives us this lesson, number one, concerning faith. He had a basis for his faith. I don't know how he did among the neighbors as far as getting along with them, but I can tell you this, he was one in a million as far as doing what God told him to do. I don't know how many people were upon the earth. There's been all kinds of estimates. In fact, there's been as much as, as thinking that as many as we have now upon the earth. But I can tell you, after 1,600 years from the point of creation to the point of the flood, there's a lot of people... In fact, you think about those who have lived these, the, the, the age that they're able to live and they're free from pollution and disease to the point that they are. I mean, uh, to live as old as Methuselah, can you imagine when you're 450 years of age and you're at middle age? Because of the world as it stood. But among all of those million of people, whether it was one in a million, one in six million, or one in six billion as we have plus today, Noah, according to Genesis chapter 6, stood out when all else was sinking. In fact,
fact, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, it tells us exactly why he had a basis to his faith. And here it is. He was warned of God. He listened internally to the words of God. Don't lose the significance of the word warned. It is as it is. And it's something that we've got to start listening to. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so then faith certainly comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's the warnings of God that we must hear. That's not negative. It's the warnings of God that says, hey, I love you so much that I gave you my son, John 3, 16. Why would you turn your back upon such a sacrifice as Jesus Christ? It's the warning. And I love the point that as you look deep within the life of this man by the name of Noah, that he was warned of God. And part of that warning was from his own ancestry. You think about his father. You think about his grandfather. You think about his great-grandfather. You think about his grandfather, Methuselah, being able to set him aside one day and put him on his lap perhaps and say, Hey, you know, I want you to hear the story about your great-grandfather, Enoch. And I want you to know that Enoch, your great-grandfather, Noah, we didn't even have a funeral service for him because he, he didn't die. What, granddaddy? No, he didn't die. God took him. We looked and we looked and he couldn't be found anywhere. And we, we, we found out that God, God what? Now let me tell you, if Noah was a typical child, and I'm certain he was during those periods of his years, that he would do just as your children and my smart grandchild does. He'd ask, why? Why did God take him? Why did God take my grandfather? Don't you know that Noah had opportunity to hear from his father, Lamech, and his, and his grandfather, Methuselah, about the stories of his great-grandfather, Enoch? And don't you know that he would know stories such as Genesis 5, 24, that says Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him? You see what it means, that the fact that God took him, it means that he did something right for God. And what happened was, Noah, what happened was, he walked with, what does it mean to walk with God? It means you do what God tells you to do. Even when it seems crazy, granddaddy. Even when it seems crazy. Even when God asks you to do something that there's no logic to. Even when God asks. Even when I can't see the end results. Yes, Noah. See, Noah was warned. And fathers. And grandfathers. The burden of the church can't be square upon our shoulders as if we're the only ones responsible. But we are partly. The reason our children grow up and have no knowledge of the Holy Scripture, we have to take responsibility for it to some degree. We can't forever blame the preacher or the youth minister. We have to be able to pull our children aside and let them know and teach them the stories of walking with God. And that what it means to walk with God is to agree with God, to be in step with God, even when it seems ridiculous to do so, even when it seems crazy to do so, and there's no end in sight, and there's no logic to what's being said, even when it says, hey, I want you to build an ark, a chest, a floating casket, in order to save mankind, even, even then. Noah, Noah had a basis of faith, and so do you. 
In fact, when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, isn't it interesting that you go through the great hall of faith and know that we have a basis of faith? That those great men and women, women, listen to me, not just men, but women as well, in Hebrews chapter 11, study their lives and look at their lives. Lives such as Rahab, who although she lived a life that was, was, was not pleasing to God, she turned it all around to live a life of faith. Look to those lives. A warning from God. You don't talk about God without talking about those great lives of faith. Uh, Noah had faith because he had a basis. Uh, in fact, notice what happens. We talk a lot about Enoch walking with God, but because Noah had such faith, Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 says, Noah walked with God. And Noah walked with God because Daddy walked with God. And Granddaddy walked with God. And great-granddaddy walked with God. Number two, Noah had a trust in his father. You say, well, that not that the same as faith? It is, to a large degree. It's the blood that pumps through any faith that one would have. And when you think about that trust, I, I, I can tell you sometimes I lack the trust that I ought to have to move the way God would have me to move. In fact, in 6.22, notice, Thus did Noah according, that trust is seen within the Scripture, to all that God commanded him. So did he. What did he do? He did what God told him. Why? Because he trusted God. <laughs> God told Noah to build, he built. God told Noah to warn, he preached. God told Noah to gather, he gathered. God told Noah to enter, and he entered. And once in that boat, you know what happened inside that boat once that door was shut, and they were all in the boat. You know what happened? Absolutely nothing. And he trusted God then. Do you trust God in the silence of expectations? Come on, God, you said if I... I don't hear you, God. I don't see the results of what you said, God. And now I'm here in this, in this vessel and, and I did exactly what you told me to do. I preached and I warned... Peter tells us that he preached. We don't see anything in Genesis that, that Noah preached, but Peter says he was a man of righteousness that preached, and we don't know how long it took him to build the ark. He had 120 years. I don't think it took him that long to build the ark, he and his, he and his sons. But I can tell you this, when he laid down the hammer, he was still preaching. He preached until finally he stepped foot in the vessel that he and his sons had built and the door was shut by God and he sits down and he waits on God and he trusts God to fulfill exactly what God told him he would do for him. Do you have that trust? Oh, no, 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 no. I know God hasn't told you to build an ark. But do you have trust, parents, to raise your children in the way in which they should go? And trusting God that they will come back, even if they journey like the prodigal for a while? Do you trust? Do you trust God in understanding that His Word can be a light to the pathway of your life and the guidance of every direction and decision that you have to make? Do you trust God in your marriage to help you sail through even when the storms are rocky and the days are difficult? You trust God when it's just so quiet. Have you ever waited on God? There they wait. 
And I can tell you, I've got the best wife in the world. But my Mrs. Noah, she would have been asking me questions. <laughs> Come on, Tracy, do you, did you understand him right? Did, did, did he tell you to build a park, maybe, instead of an ark? No, it was an ark. For six days he sat there waiting on God. Let's get this down. You do know that an ark is really not a boat. It's not a boat. I know some of you have been up to Kentucky. We're taking a trip next week or week after next. But still, it's not a boat. You were there. And it, I don't know what goes on there. I've not gone there. But the ark has no propulsion. It has no rudder. It has no steering wheel. If they have that there, it's wrong. Which is another indication of the trust that Noah had for God. He is not the captain of this vessel. God is. He is not the one that's journeying through the waters. God is the one who has control over those levers. God is the one. And all Noah can do is just sit there after the rain comes and the floods pursue upon the earth. All Noah can do is just trust in God to lead in the way he needed to be led. It's kind of like, I know you've been to Lowe's. Lowe's, I know Lowe's has these. It's those shopping carts that have that, what looks like a car on, on the front. And so you fool your kids. You say, hey, we're going to go to Lowe's and we're going to ride the car. And you take your kids and you put them in those cars out front. And your, dad, you know, your daddy's back here and, and he runs through. Have you ever watched it? And these kids and these little boys, you know, they're up front and they think, eh, I've got it under, it's all me. And so he's up there and he's got the steering wheel. And all of a sudden, daddy takes a right while he's taking a left. And it dawns on him, I don't want, wait. The father's got business to take care of. The father's got plans. He, maybe he has something to build. But the boy thought, that's trust. It's trust in your life as you think you're out front. It's trust in your life to know that God has a steering wheel. It's trust in Him to know that He knows the best direction. And you just sit there in faith and move the way He would have you to move. Oh, one more. Noah had hope for the future. Genesis 9, 12. God said, this is the sign, Noah. What sign? It's that bow. It's a covenant which I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it should be a sign of the covenant between me and earth. And it should be when I bring a cloud over... You know the story. God places a rainbow and God says to Noah, I'll never again will I destroy this world by water. It will be destroyed, mind you. But not by water. The word rainbow in Hebrew... Is kashat. Kashat. And it literally means not only rainbow, but it also means the bow of a warrior. Isn't it interesting, as some Bible scholars have pointed out, that after that flood was over and the green vegetation of God's planet Earth came forth, 
to render to Noah through the process of those birds sent that God had kept his promise that that bow in the air was a representation not only of a rainbow a covenant agreement to Noah but that bow was also likened to a warrior's bow and never again would that bow be pointed with the wrath of God toward mankind upon this earth but instead toward his own glory in fact, do you think Noah may have had some insight upon the fact of that holy seed? That the wrath would be poured out upon the very Son of God? For our benefit. God put a rainbow in the sky to remind us of His covenant agreement that would touch back, yes, to an earlier time when all was good, in fact, very good, but said much more about the future that Noah had hope in, that would transcend even his own life and the life of his children for generations to come to a holy seed promised of God. May we have that faith to exercise ourselves in such a direction, to move ourselves to the cross that points before a moment to the wrath of God, but through that wrath, the forgiveness that would make us whole. Thanks be unto God for God's such love. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we are thankful for Noah. We're thankful for what we can learn from his faith. And we exercise, Father, a desire to want that faith within our lives, that we have a basis for what we believe in and that we share that basis with our children and theirs. That we, Father, trust you that when we don't have the steering wheels to our life that certainly we know you do and that we anticipate the future, the reward, the victory of doing exactly what you have told us to do for that faith, for that example, for that lesson. We're thankful. We praise you for it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.